Our Old Testament reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and chapter 2. Pastor Aaron wanted me to mention that the preacher here is really King Solomon. He calls himself the preacher whenever he talks about the meaning of life. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanities. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. And yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 12th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared 
whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure, treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Okay, if you are uh, if you are visiting with us or you haven't been here in a while, we are this summer uh, during Pentecost season. We are working our way through Philippians chap Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter two right now, and we're uh, talking about Paul's message to the church at Philippi and how it applies to us. And uh, where you come today to chapter two, verses twelve and thirteen, which I think are really really interesting verses. Controversial verses, uh, you know, in some circles they're controversial verses. And when I say some circles, I mean like uh, uh, theologians uh, who would sit around and talk about Philippians 2, 12, and 13. But there's a lot in here. This is, uh, uh, we're get a little bit philosophical today and hopefully a lot practical. And uh, just I'm praying right now that God would uh, use his word to open my mind and shape my mind to think about myself and how I relate to him in really biblical ways, because what these verses have to say aren't always the easiest uh, to process. Uh, there is, in these verses, an apparent contradiction, an apparent, an apparent antinomy. Antimony is the word I'm looking for. And so uh, we'll hack our way through this and see if uh, we can have our thinking uh, shifted a little bit, and then by that, our actions, by the Holy Spirit. So therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, Paul says, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. I'm not there right now. Uh, when I was with you, uh, you always listened to the gospel. And I'm not with you now. And I assume you're going to keep on listening to the gospel. He says, here's what I want you to do. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, verse says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's talk first about what that word salvation means. It seems like at first glance that that'd be the kind of thing that uh, we don't really need to talk about because everybody knows what salvation means, right? Well, we, we all, I mean, if, if you, for those of you who are Christians, we use the word salvation a lot, uh, but we frequently don't mean what the Bible means by salvation. Or, I mean, the Bible can use, it can mean a whole lot of different things by salvation, and sometimes we don't mean what the specific text that we're looking at means. Frequently, you guys have heard me say this before, for some reason, Frequently, what you and I mean by salvation is Jesus is going to take us to heaven when we die. That is hardly ever what Paul means by salvation. He means something completely more right now. What is God doing right now in my life? Not what, the, not what is the slice of pie that awaits me in the sky, but what is God's plan for this world right now that he's working out by the death and resurrection of his son in my life and in the life of the church? So, what does Paul mean by salvation in Philippians? That's the question we should be asking. He means three things. If you, if you remember, and if you have your Bibles open to Philippians, I know some of you are just looking at the bulletin, the text in the bulletin. But you'll remember in chapter 1, in uh, verse uh, 20, Paul says, I'm in, I'm in prison, I'm chained up to this Roman guard, and, and I know that you guys are worried about me, but it's okay because it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. What he means by that is what he says in verse 19. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And he, the word deliverance there, he actually just uses the, the Greek word for salvation. So for salvation, for Paul in these verses is the gospel is going to go forward. I'm chained up to this Roman guard, and that means that 
that Caesar's imperial guard is going to get to hear the gospel because they're chained up to me. That's what salvation is for Paul. See, Paul's not in prison thinking, someday I'm going to get out of this and I'm going to be fine and I'm going to be playing a harp on the streets of gold and I'm not going to be chained up to this guy anymore. Paul's thinking, what is God doing to rescue his creation right now? And not just for me personally, but for the people that I come in contact with. For Paul, salvation is first and foremost the work that the gospel is doing in bringing the lost creation to Jesus. Secondly, what is salvation in Philippians 1? In verse 27, he says this. He says, I, I, I pray that I might hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Second of all, salvation in Philippians is a commitment to the community of Jesus' followers. The sign that Jesus is Lord of the universe is the existence of the church. The creation and existence of the church. And the level that our commitment is made to that group of people, not to the organization, not to me specifically, not to this building, not to your membership here necessarily, but to the people, the commitment that you've made, the radical commitment that you've made to give up your life for the sake of the brothers and sisters in Christ is a sign that that Jesus is Lord of the universe. And so for Paul, it is salvation. The creation of the body of Christ is salvation. And the third thing is, is what we looked at the past couple of weeks, this life of humble service in the name and power of Jesus. You'll remember this. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 4. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, you all share this one mind, which is geared towards humble service of everybody else. So for Paul, that's salvation. Back to verse 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is not an easy life to accept and embrace suffering in the name of Jesus so that the kingdom of God can grow. It is not an easy life to give up your own desires and your own individual preferences for the sake of the body of Christ. Paul says it's going to be work. You have to work out this salvation. You have to be diligent about it. And this is actually a really, really... Let me me just for a second... Talk to those of you who are Lutherans this morning. This is a good message for Lutherans. Because frequently we will say, well, you know, we don't have salvation by works. This is true. We're, set, we're, just, we're saved only by uh, Jesus Christ, by grace alone. Justification is by faith alone. This is true. And what we do is we make the next step, logically we think, which is false, that I don't really have to do anything. Like, I'm just good to go. I can just, if I just keep on breathing, you know, and... If something really bad happens, I can always ask God to forgive me. But, but anything that would smell like me putting out any, for, any sort of effort into my relationship with Jesus or into my relationship with Jesus' body is salvation by works. It's legalism. And it's good for us to hear me. I'm talking to me now and, the, and those of you in the room who are Lutherans. It's good for us to hear Paul say, you're going to have to work at this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. All right, but that brings us to... Uh, Verse 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you need to work out your own salvation because it's God who's working in you to do two things here, to will and to work out his good pleasure. Let's talk about those two things. And I apologize if this is not the way that your mind works uh, come talk to me, and uh, we'll, we'll attack it from a different angle. 
If you like a little bit of philosophy every once in a while, maybe this will be, uh, maybe this will be in your wheelhouse. Uh, at any rate, come and talk to me if you want to talk about this stuff. What does it mean that, that God is at work in us to will his good pleasure? Four, four comments I want to make about this real quick and, and try and track along with me. If you can't, I know that it's my fault that I'm not explaining this well. Uh, again, come and talk to me afterwards if you'd like. First of all, here's the first move. We want what we like. I want what I like. This makes sense, right? I, I, I like roasted asparagus. I don't like boiled asparagus. If I'm offered asparagus and somebody says, evangelist says, here, prep this asparagus for dinner tonight, I will always roast it. I will not boil it because I do not like boiled asparagus. I don't like mouth pain. Mouth pain is the worst kind of pain uh, that there exists uh, in my limited experience. I should say that. Some of you have been through a whole lot more than me, apparently. Uh, but mouth pain is pretty bad. I, I avoid mouth pain at all costs. All right. I don't like it. I, I, I only want the things that I like. All right. This is, this makes sense, doesn't it? You want the things that you like. You don't want the things that you don't like. Move number two. We only do, this is, this is a little bit more difficult. We only do what we want to do. Now, some of you are going to say, no, that's not true. I frequently do things I don't want to do. Hold on. Just hold on and hear me out. You, you only do what you want to do. I will never eat boiled asparagus if there is roasted asparagus there. I only will eat what I like to eat. I will only do the things that I want to do. I will never do anything I don't want to do unless I'm physically forced to it. Now, some of you are going to say, well, you have to do things you don't like sometimes. So hold on. Listen to me. Uh, this is just a touch philosophical. I apologize for this. I will go to the dentist even though I hate mouth pain. And somebody's going to say, but you, you just said that you only do what you want to do. And you don't want to go to the dentist, right? Yes, I don't want to go to the dentist. But I will go to the dentist because I hate long-term mouth pain more than I hate short-term mouth pain. I would rather have, I hate mouth pain, but I would rather have a half hour of mouth pain, you know, the jab of the, the Novocaine needle and then the digging around with the drill and all the other nasty stuff they do, than to have to get a root canal next year or to have like horrible teeth decay in 10 years. Does that make sense? I, I, I will only do what I want to do. I, I will only eat boiled asparagus if I come to your house and you offer it to me as a part of a dinner that you're serving me. And I will only eat it then because I like you more than I like not eating boiled asparagus. If I'm very close to you, if I get real close to you, I will refuse. Right? Right? Because I'm not afraid at that point to say, I don't like this. I'm not going to eat it. So there, there are times, so, so you guys know this, right? There, there are a lot of times in any sort of relationship that you do things that you don't want to do, but you do it because the joy of the thing that you really do want on the other side of the thing that you don't want is greater than the pain of the thing that you don't want in the near term. All right? So when your kid wakes up at night and they're screaming, you go and get the kid. Do you want to go and get the kid? Not really, but yeah, you do. Because the joy of having well-adjusted kids or the joy of having a good relationship with your kids long-term outweighs the discomfort of having to get up in the middle of the night and go change a diaper. Everybody gets that. Okay, so that's a little bit philosophical, I know. But we're going somewhere here with this, I promise. And it has to do with God also, I promise that. 
So we only want what we like. Second move, we only do what we want to do. Here's the third thing. This is just another fancy way of saying, and now this is going to start to sound a little bit biblical, our will is bound by our desires. Your will, the decisions that you make, is controlled by what you want, by what your heart wants. Right? You, now, on a little, there are minor decisions that you make every day. Should I wear the dark brown socks or the light brown socks? Which you don't really care, so it doesn't matter. Right? But ultimately, your will is controlled. You are going to wear socks, probably, you know, if you're going to work and you work in an office or something. You aren't going to wear, you aren't going to wear short shorts if you are a lawyer and you go into to work, right? So your, your will is bound by your desire to look respectable. Within that is minor decisions, brown socks, light brown socks, whatever. Your will is bound by your desires. You cannot do anything that's outside of your desires. Now, here's what the Bible teaches about our desires. Outside of Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches this. In Genesis 6, God looks down and sees that the thoughts of the human heart are only evil continually. Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah says, The human heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The human heart outside of Christ only wants wrong. And now you're going to say to me, and rightly so, you should say this, but, but I know lots of unbelievers who are just great people. And I'm going to say, yeah. I do too. You know, th- thank, thank goodness that God is good. Thank goodness that, that God has planted in our hearts that it's wrong to punch people in the face. That taking care of your lawn is actually nicer than not taking care of your lawn. But this is an act of God's grace. It's not because our hearts are prone to good. Our hearts are prone to selfishness. Desperately wicked. Deceitful above all things, Jeremiah says. Here's the fourth move, and this is going to get us to Philippians 2.13. In order to save us, God changes our hearts. In order to rescue us, God shapes and transforms our desires so that we can believe in Him. So what Psalm 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. The desires that God wants your heart to have for those who belong to Him, He shapes our hearts to have those desires. Ezekiel 11 says this, I will give them, in, in, in the day of the Messiah, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. In other words, God doesn't force us to believe in Him. Neither does God say, hey, I'm here. You want it? You got it? If not, that's your own business. What God does is He works in us to will His good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. By the power of His Word, His Holy Spirit takes our heart and it shapes and transforms us so that we want something different than we wanted before. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who is working in you to will His good pleasure. If you guys have any desire at all to know God, to experience God, to obey God's will, That's something that the Holy Spirit is doing. That's not something that's yours and mine naturally. It's something that He is willing us to will. But He also wills us not just, He doesn't just uh, 
uh, work in us to will his good pleasure. He also works in us to work his good pleasure, verse 13 says. It's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. After God changes our will and our desire, then he empowers us to actually start obeying him and doing his will. He actually empowers us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. How do these two things work together? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds like it's very us-centered. It's like, you need to do this. This is on you, right? Because it's God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure, that's very God-centered. That's very grace, right? How do these thing, two things work together? And the answer is, is that I, don't, I can't really explain to you like a formula. I will tell you this. It's not 50% God and 50% us. The Bible makes it incredibly clear that it's grace first. That's what the four in verse 13 means. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You can do that because, in other words, the cause of you working out your salvation with fear and trembling, the, the thing that starts you working out your salvation with fear and trembling is this God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. It starts with God. It's 100% God, but you're doing it too. You don't get credit for it. You're not causing it. But the notion that you can just lay in bed and say, okay, God, if you want me to do Christian-type things today, you're going to have to lift me out of bed and move my arms and my hands and make me walk robot-like out of this room and take a shower and get dressed and go out and do good deeds. That also is not the case. Paul has to say to us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But he doesn't do it without the gospel. So if you're looking for like a math formula, a ratio, I would say it's 100% God and then some percent that you're doing, but it's not you're causing it. There are, there are three great mysteries in the scripture. This is not the only place. But by the way, Philippians 2, 12, and 13 is not the only place in the Bible where God teaches the compatibility between divine sovereignty, God being completely in charge, and human responsibility. There's lots of other places in scripture. And the Bible never tries to like rationalize these. If you want to talk about this more, come down to adult Bible study after class and we will. Instead, it's like this. There are three, I think there are three great mysteries in the Bible. The first is the mystery of the Trinity. How can one God exist in three persons? We as Christians believe this. There's no sort of algebra formula that will make sense of this. It does not, there's no sort of cognitive satisfaction that you can get out of that ratio. But it is what the Bible teaches. The second mystery in scripture, the thing that, I don't mean mystery that you can't figure it out, but the mystery that it's at its heart is non-understandable is the hypostatic union of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. How can Jesus be 100% God and 100% human at the same time? It's really horrible math, but it's really good theology. And this is the third. God is 100% completely in charge of your salvation, and yet he says to you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. He says to you, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. All the while, at the same time, saying to you, you can't actually do that because it's God who's working in you, both the will and to do his good pleasure. But don't ever give up the first part of that. Don't say, well, God works and wills in me. I don't have to do anything then, right? I can just kind of zone out. I can just kind of live my life and do what I want, and God's going to make it all right in the end. No, the command is there to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What if you aren't a believer here? Let me talk to those of you today who aren't believers or who are on your way to becoming believers or you're thinking about being a believer or you're just here hanging out with somebody who is a believer and you're trying to be a good friend to them by showing up at church with them. What, do you, what, what should you do with this Philippians 2, 12, and 13? 
Here's, here's my answer. Did you listen to, um, did you guys all listen to, uh, the Old Testament reading this morning? That, uh, Ecclesiastes is so fantastic. So Bob read that Ecclesiastes passage. And basically, in that passage, Solomon is saying, you know what? You get up every morning and you pull your big boy pants on and you go to work and you work hard and you come home at night and you hang out with your family and you watch a little TV. Every once in a while, you take a day off. But you keep on going back to work, and you keep on working. You keep on mowing your yard. You keep on repairing your siding. You keep on paying your bills. And then you die, and somebody else gets all of it. That, that's, that's the game that you're playing. Look, every single one of you in this room, every single one of you, is trying to work out your salvation right now. Some of you are doing that with religious, religious terms. You know, you're, you're going to church. You're, you want to believe in Jesus. You're reading your Bibles and praying. Some of you are doing that some other way. You're trying to create some sort of sense that my life is worth something. You know, like in in, in the Old Testament reading, you're doing it by working hard and making money and getting property. Maybe it's family for you. Maybe family's everything. Like if I can just, you know, I've got my family and we we hang out together and we all care about each other. Whatever it is. Maybe it's this retirement goal that you have in your mind. It's it's all gonna be screwed up. I don't you don't I don't know if you realize this by now, but, but but life is a hot mess. Like you make plans and you do things, and then it never works out. And best case scenario, the stuff that does work out goes to somebody else when you die. The God of the universe is telling you this morning that He wants to make contact with you, that He wants to work His own salvation out in your life. A salvation which is completely eternal. And, by the way, a salvation that, although it's eternal, is not anti-earthly. It's a salvation that actually will make sense of your life now. Did you hear what Solomon said? You know what the best thing about life is, Solomon said in our reading? Eating eating and drinking. Eating good food and drinking good drink. And if you don't have God, none of that will make sense. It's, it tastes good. I'm going to bed and tomorrow I'm going to do it again. But I'm gonna have to keep on doing it. But for, for those of you who know God, the pleasures of this world, the pleasures of making money, the pleasures of family, the pleasures of a good meal, the pleasures of a good round of golf, or looking at some nice photographs, or a nice vacation, it all makes sense because it's all a part of God working out His will in your life to create salvation in you and the people around you and in the world around you. That's being offered to you this morning. Like, think about it. And if it's just something in your head, by the way, that you're like, ah, oh, you know what, that kind of sounds, I don't know, but that kind of maybe sounds a bit interesting. Don't squash that. If you're even halfway a little bit engaged with the words of the gospel, it's because God himself is working in you right now to will his good pleasure. <laughs> don't, don't push that voice away. Listen to it. I'm not pushing you to make any sort of like <laughs> radical move right now. But let it cogitate in your head. Think about the words of the gospel. If you're a believer here this morning, again, your life is difficult as well. You are, if you're like me, you're in a position frequently, you're in a position where you think, okay, I've got Jesus, I don't have to do anything else. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But but do it knowing that it's God's will for your life, that it's God who's actually working that in you right now. God's Holy Spirit, He doesn't just want to forgive you of your sins. He wants to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He doesn't just want to send you to heaven someday. 
He wants to create a miniature version of heaven in your world, in your church right now. That's what he wants to do. He can do it. It's his good pleasure. Amen.